0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall. Today, you're going to be hearing from Corey Spinks of E3 Partners. This is their last episode with us till after the City Tour coming up here in Nashville, October 27th and 28th. By the way, if you don't have tickets already, I encourage you to go to Discipleship.org and get those now. You're not going to want to miss it. It's coming up super quick. Corey is talking with us today about raising up the next generation. You'll discover new tools that college leaders and next-gen leaders are using to share the gospel and to make disciples. Corey and his team are seeing massive opportunities around North America to train up the next generation and to send them out to the nations. Let's listen in and find out how we can see this type of movement in the community around us. Here we go.
1: My name is Corey. I work with an organization called E3 Partners. Has anybody ever heard of E3 prior to this weekend? Nobody, maybe a couple people. What about I Am Second? Have you ever heard of I Am Second? Yeah, you've seen our videos. They're really good. They're the best out there, right? So what most people don't know is that E3 is the parent company to I Am Second. And I Am Second is our digital media ministry. So we have professional athletes, musicians, celebrities, and they share their testimony and basically how the gospel changed their life. And so we use that to platform into disciple making church planning and missions mobilization all over the world so it's really cool so the the E3 somebody asked while ago can we talk about what E3 stands for and so the goal is we want to equip God's people to evangelize his world and establish his church so that is the three E's equip evangelize establish So that's where E3 came from. So that's who E3 is. I said, my name is Corey. I am the the collegiate strategist. Uh, We couldn't come up with a better name. So collegiate strategist for E3 partners. So I travel North America partnering with other organizations, other missions, other churches to work among college students and to provide coaching and strategy and things like that. So that's my role. Uh, My family and I, my wife Amanda and I, we've been married almost 15 years. We have three children. We spent the last three years in London, England, working with refugees and immigrants coming through the refugee highway. Uh, And so that's kind of where we've been (coughs) while we were there. uh, I was telling someone earlier that London is such a strategic place. Current Currently, right now, across the globe, there are 50 world leaders, 50 different heads of state of countries that served or went to university in London. Uh, And so imagine if they would have heard the gospel, been discipled, and surrendered their life to Jesus while they were in London. So it was a very strategic place. While we were there, we started working with college students. Uh, and thinking through what if, right, the opportunity. How many of you right now actually work with college students? I talked with a few people, all right, high school students, all right, okay. So this, this is that, that breakout, right, the next gen. So we're going to talk about high school, college, and young adult, you know, that maybe 13 to 25, 26-year-old range, What we're going to talk about are some things that we've noticed, things that we've learned that are becoming best practices for engaging with them. And so we have something we call the brutal facts. And so if you do work with kids or high school students, for the sake of this session, we're going to focus on the collegiate world. Uh, that's, where, that's where it's not my, my sweet spot, but it's where they told me I needed to work. So, uh, so that's where I work. So we're going to talk about the collegiate segment. So what we're going to do is talk about what we call brutal facts. Would anybody care to take a guess of what is the population of college students in North America? <laughs> Don't even want to take a guess, right? <laughs> Millions. On campus, 28 million. 28 million on campus. That's not counting online learning. That is on campus across the United States. How many of 28 million do you think are lost? 29. (laughs) 29. (laughs) They're (laughs) free (laughs) lost. Right? Remember, this is brutal. (laughs) These are brutal facts. And I'm being, and I'm being very, very generous. It's about 25 million. How many of you went to college? Hands. Do you remember that time in your life? How the things that you were learning and the things that you were trying to pick up from these people, these people, these people, the impression that could have been made on your life? That's why the next generation is so important. The college age is so important, because they're searching. They've taken what mom and dad taught them, or grandma, grandpa, and they've said, no, this is my time. I want to focus in and see what I can learn for myself. So they're searching. They're open. We're seeing an openness across North America with college students. The problem is some of the junk that we're putting in front of them is not leading to anything sustainable. Right? They're, they're, they're getting this crazy, crazy thing. Prosperity gospel. They're getting, well, I just want to have a good time. But you know what they all have in common, every single one of them? They want community. They all want community in some way, and they're already naturally gathering in some way, whether it's a sports segment, whether it's just based off of maybe what their major is, what they're studying. They're already naturally gathering. So what if we began to teach them in those gatherings how to have a community of practice and become disciple makers, introducing the gospel into that environment? What could happen? And so with all of this, man, that's, that's a huge number. So what's it going to take to reach that number? How do we do that? Pretty simple. right? You're all at a disciple-making forum. And everybody here say, well, this is how we disciple. This is how we disciple. This is how we disciple. If it does not include them discipling each other, throw it in the garbage. They will reach themselves. You need an insider. No person in this room is an actual, you're not in the 18 to 24 year old range. I can look, right? None of us are. We are not the answer to, that, to them. They are. They are the insiders. So how do we find the insiders that are hungry and want to learn and we take them and we walk them through it? So now the question is, has something like this and a crazy astronomical number, has that ever happened before where they had an opportunity to hear the gospel? Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. And we're going to look at just a couple of verses together in (coughs) Acts 19. And we're going to look at what happened. And then we're going to talk about, well, how did it happen? So Acts 19 Verses 8 through 10.
0: And when he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading, concerning the things of the kingdom of God, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, and so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks.
1: Pretty interesting. So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. How many people do you think lived in Asia in this time? If you want to take a guess. Not this many, right? This isn't one of those things where it's like 25 million. It matched up perfectly. This isn't one of those things, right? (laughs) Some say the numbers change, but historians believe somewhere... Around 5 million people. A lot of people in two years. In two years because of what was going on in the hall of Tyrannus. What was going on in the hall of Tyrannus? Reasoning daily. daily. What were they reasoning about? What was Paul teaching? Things about the kingdom of God. I think it's safe to say he's also teaching how the kingdom of God grows. And expands. Paul did not share the gospel with 5 million people. And when they first went into the hall of Tyrannus, if you read Acts 19, 1-7, you notice that there were only 12 people when they first went into the hall. There was only 12. But somehow... 12, 13, Count Paul, they reached 5 million people or more with the gospel. How did they do that, right? Here's that word that people overuse. They don't know really what it means. They multiplied. They multiplied. They didn't add. They multiplied to the point that it spreads throughout Ephesus and all of Asia. And then we pick up the letter to the church at Colossae it's part of Asia. Paul did not plant that church. It happened from this. It was a multi-generational church that was planted out of Ephesus. Every resident, right? That's, that's pretty specific. In two years, right? So I think there's something, some things that we can learn from this, right? We're talking about 25 million or more. How do we do that? We have to give it away. We have to release it. Are you okay if you meet a college student, you share the gospel with that college student, they come to Christ, and now you're turning around, kicking them right back out. Hey, go share this with your friends. Are you okay with that? Kind of got to be, don't you? Because the reality is, if you're not pursuing this, we won't even keep up with population growth. That number will rise and rise and rise, and we're never making a dent in lostness. Well, we need a strategy. We need a process in order to think through this and go about this. What better place to look than the Word, right? Turn to Acts chapter 13. I'm glad you asked. Hey, where can we find that? Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter thirteen, and we're going to highlight two specific verses, and then we're going to dissect together Acts thirteen. So this is that first missionary journey, right? Other than Jesus, we could say that Paul, man, he's he's the greatest missionary that ever lived. Wouldn't there be some value in maybe taking a look at what he was doing as a missionary and how he was trying to impact lostness? So Acts thirteen. Right, we pick up, church at Antioch, and what happens? Verse 2, what was the church doing? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Right. Here's a church that's fasting, they're praying, they're seeking the Spirit, seeking the Lord, and he speaks. And he tells them, set apart for me these two guys. I have a work. Right? All right. Fast forward to Acts chapter 14. This is the end of the first missionary journey. Acts chapter 14, verse 26. And from there, they sail to Antioch. They're going back to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had now fulfilled. right At the beginning of a journey, they were called to a work. The work. At the end of their journey, it says the work was fulfilled. It was completed. Begs the question, what was the work? What was the work that they were doing? Anybody want to throw some things out there? What were they doing? There's a few things they were specifically doing. Share the gospel. What else? Planting, planting churches. Huh? Planting churches? What else did they do? And then they were doing this everywhere they went. This wasn't one location. So there were new places. What's interesting is if you were to look at journey number two, it is identical. The process did not change. Huh. Journey number three They focus on going to all the churches that had been planted and are still strengthening them and coaching them. And then we pick up and we start seeing letters addressing sin, addressing their identity. Now think about this from the perspective of Christ. Did Christ go to new places? Was Jesus going to new places? And everywhere that He went, repent, the kingdom is at hand. He's sharing the gospel. He's developing leaders. It wasn't an appointment that we know of, right? But He was developing them, the whole process, and discipling people everywhere He went. And now you're like, whoa, Jesus didn't plant churches. What do we call a gathering of disciples? Church. So I would say that He did. (laughs) Right? Yeah. We don't don't need to get into all the wonderful Greek. we got to... Nodden, Greek scholar in the back back there. He spent some time in Greece. (laughs) But right? That's what we call church. So he's leaving gatherings everywhere he goes. And then he actually tells us in Mark chapter 4. He gives us an analogy. And he says the kingdom of God is like this. A man enters into a field and he sows seed. He goes to sleep. And then there's growth. He doesn't know how it happened. But when the time comes, he puts in the sickle. And he gathers that growth together. Now, how many of you farm? Anybody? Done some farming, some gardening? If we begin to think of this as a strategy for the kingdom, we have to have a field. I talked with this guy. What was your name, man, back there? Uh, yeah, yeah, enrichment. John, right? Works at a campus in Richmond, Virginia. He's got a field. Now, if he goes into that field and he begins to sow seed generously, broadly, there will be growth. God controls that. The Spirit controls that. We don't, but we can control this, how much we do of this. And then any good farmer has to nurture the growth, right? You raise your hand. you got to take care of it. Taking care of growth, discipleship. And then when the time comes, you gather it together, right? The harvest comes, we gather it together. But a good farmer knows you keep some of that seed for a new field. So now we have entry into a new field. We're sharing the gospel when we get there. We're engaging the lostness. There's growth because of the Spirit is at work. It's our job to nurture that growth. We call that discipleship. And then we gather this growth together. We call it church. But then all the while this is happening, we're developing leaders that replicate the process wherever they are, wherever they go. We have leaders being developed. And so it helps us think through, there is an integrated process in which the kingdom works. From start to finish. We have ministries all over the world that, man, we're really good at this. Honestly, in the West, we're awesome at entry. Man, we feed people, we do block parties, we do all these types of things. People come... And then they leave and they never heard the gospel. Man, we're awesome humanitarians. We're, the, we're some of the best. Man, we got the resources. And so we're dumping all of our resources and our time and our energy right here. And the gospel is dying off. We're not being intentional and in sharing the gospel. And then when there's fruit, we take these disciples and we say, Come to my church, my pastor's going to disciple you on Sunday morning. He's not. That's not what's happening. It takes a lot more than Sunday morning to make a disciple. And then we're not actively gathering these people together in communities of practice and teaching them how to become healthy disciples. Healthy disciples make healthy church. It's a natural progression. But then we're missing out on leaders that can go and replicate the process that I could send them anywhere in the world. So with college students, maybe some of them raise their hand. they say, I want to go to the nations. I want to go to Asia. I want to go here. I want to go there. We're sending them with a plan. They know what to do because now they've been doing it on their campus. So they don't get there and they're like, oh, crap, what do I do now? They know. They know how to do the work because it's been modeled for them and they saw it in Scripture. Not because someone told them. They saw it for themselves in the Word of God. They discovered it. And then they became a practitioner of it. And so they go and they replicate. They replicate the strategy. And so what we're trying to do is in this process, in this integrated process, we're introducing new tools and new, not even, they're not new biblical principles, but they're biblical principles that a tool encompasses. So we want to teach them how do they need to get in front of lost people? What are some ways we can get in front of lost people on a college campus? Social media. Social media. Big one. Yeah. How do we get an audience? Dinner party. Dinner party, right? They want community. They want to feel accepted. So let's provide them a place where they are. But when we do that, if we're not intentional with this, shame on us. Let's introduce them to the gospel. We're now being intentional with the gospel. And our relationship is based around the gospel. Now they're beginning to grow. And maybe they actually need to be discipled to faith. All right? They're not a believer yet. We can disciple them to faith. Are you spending time with them, teaching them what the Word says, who Christ is, what He's done, and what He expects of them? Now we're planting churches on campus. Whether it's micro, whether it's in a coffee shop, whether it's home, whatever it looks like. But there's a tool for this. So we use Luke 10. Anybody know what Luke 10 practice is? Where we go out two by two, and we're intentionally sharing the gospel with people on campus. Knocking on apartment doors, uh, or we're casting vision for them to spend time with their social network, with people they're already hanging out with, people they go to the gym with, people uh, in their classes. They know lost people. That's one thing about lost people. They know a bunch of other lost people, right? And so influence naturally spreads. That's how the gospel works, that's how it flows. That's the expectation for all of us. So we want to give them tools to help them think through that. Now, okay, they have an audience. Ask them, do you know how to share the gospel? We talked about in one of our other sessions that across North America, less than 10% of evangelical believers share their faith more than once a month. That's awful. (laughs) It's awful. And the reality is, It's a lack of confidence and competence. One, they don't truly understand the gospel. And two, they can't communicate it with confidence. So let's give them a tool. Anybody know Three Circles? Ever seen the Three Circles tool? It's a tool that we give them. We're introducing a tool that helps them share the gospel with someone else. What about the bridge diagram? We know the bridge diagram. I think it's called something else now, Uh, but it's still the same picture. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that's it. You know, and these are pictures and it helps them think through, hey, now I've got something tangible I can hold on to and I can reproduce it. it. Gives them confidence and competence. Now, do you have a plan for discipleship? What are we discipling them to? What is discipleship? What's the point of discipleship? Anybody? Yeah, right. As we mature in Christ, the goal of discipleship is to become like Him. We can't become Him, but it's to become like Him. That's a lifelong process. But it doesn't mean that it takes the entire rest of our lives before we let them go and replicate it in someone else's life. Do you have a plan and a process for discipleship that's simple and it's reproducible? Because here's the thing with college students. If you complicate it, they hate it. If you complicate it, they hate it. They're not going to use it. Nobody would. I wouldn't. That's dumb. Then we're giving them tools for becoming a church. You know a great place to look in Scripture about becoming a healthy church? Acts chapter 2. right? The day of Pentecost, we see this awesome sermon. Peter gets up and he points his finger. You crucified him. You killed him. Repent, be baptized, each one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then some things begin to take place right after that sermon. It says that they believed, they were baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles teaching? It wasn't the law. They weren't teaching the law. They just spent three years with who? Jesus. Jesus. So guess what they're teaching? Jesus. If your discipleship process is not teaching Jesus, scrap it. Teach Jesus. Give them tools. Give them something that they can hold on to and they're going to run with it. Give it to them and move out of the way. And then, how do we develop leaders? You and I, maybe our idea of leadership, we've set the bar so high. You got to go to seminary. You got to do this. You got to do this. No, you don't. (laughs) Those are good things, they're God honoring things. It's not for everyone. So can we develop someone? This young lady, she just came to faith today. Can I begin developing her as a leader and release authority to her very quickly, immediately, where she can go and replicate all this? That's how we get to multiplication. You have to give the kingdom away. This next generation... They can they, they can smell the BS. <laughs> they can smell it. They know it. They know if your faith is real or not. They know it. Keep it simple so that it reproduces. So what we've done, what we're really trying to do is come up with some principles and basics that we want them to understand when it comes to strategy when it comes to understanding of how the kingdom works. So every student, high school, middle school, college age, when you, they always want to know, well, what is the will of God for my life? Man, I should start charging people and tell them, hey, I could tell you what the will of God is for your life, right? <laughs> Man, I, I, I could make so much money, right? The will of God, what is the will of God? It's that the earth will be filled with His glory. That is the will of God. So whether you want to be a a lawyer, you want to be a basketball player, you want to be a doctor, you want to be uh, whatever it is, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to make His name known. So hey, let's introduce them to what is the will of God? What is the expectation of God for their life? And then what is God's vision? The vision of God. We find that in Revelation. You can look at chapter 5 or you can look at chapter 7. Verses 9 and 10 and both. And this vision that God gives John. And John writes and he says, I looked and there was a multitude that no one could count from every tribe, every language, every nation standing before the throne. That's the vision of God. Do your students understand that? Do they understand what God is about? His will and the vision that He's given us. And then how do we get there? What's the mission? What is the mission of God? Anybody? We've been taught it our entire lives in church. It's in Matthew. (laughs) Make disciples. That is the mission of God. That is His mission is to make disciples. And from the beginning of time to the end of time, He wants to use imperfect people like us to make it happen. How amazing is that? That the creator of the universe actually wants to use you to accomplish His mission as if we're anybody, right? And we keep messing it up. And He keeps saying, I want to use you. I want to use you. Now, as we're thinking through the mission of God and we're teaching these students these things, wouldn't it be important for them to understand The strategy that Jesus gave us and Jesus modeled, Yeah, I think that'd be really helpful. We call that the four fields of kingdom growth. This is the strategy and the model that Jesus gave us. He did these things and then he talks about these things in Mark chapter 4. Then Paul mimics all these things twice, two different missionary journeys. And then we see them begin to play out even past that. There's got to be value in the strategy of Jesus. If Jesus is the one that says, make disciples of all nations, I think we'd be smart to look at His model and how He did it. And then what is the pattern of discipleship? Do you have a pattern that you're giving students that they can reproduce? There's a pattern. We have a pattern. We call it the three-thirds process. And it encompasses everything what we call a discovery Bible study. It has accountability, goal setting. It has all these things built in. And it's simple enough that if a student is gathering with another group of students, the following week, somebody that was in that group could now lead it and begin starting a group with new people. And we're seeing groups begin to multiply through just a simple way in which they gather the process of discipleship anybody heard the acronym mawl m a w l model assist watch and leave this is the process by which jesus made disciples he modeled for them hey watch me i'm doing this he assisted them as he sent them out he helped them he gave them responsibility Hey, I'm still here with you. I got you. And then he sent them out and watched them do it. And they did some awesome stuff and they even came back and they said, Man, we saw all this happen. We saw Satan fall like lightning. And then he chastised them. Hey, don't worry about that. Celebrate that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He had to bring them back to their identity of all the amazing things that they were doing. But he was watching them. Hey, I've got you. I've still got you. And then he left them. Or some people, they use the L for launch, right? We're going to launch them out. But He didn't leave us alone, did He? He sent us the Helper. sent us the Spirit. And Jesus actually told us that because of the Spirit, we're all going to do greater things than Jesus did. Do you believe that? I would say we don't. Well, it's Jesus. He said, right? So that is the process. Are you modeling it for them? Are you helping them do it? Are you giving them space where they can do it on their own? And then send them out. Let them go. And then there is a foundation of discipleship. And that foundation is found in Acts chapter 2 because they were being obedient. The foundation of discipleship is obedience. It's obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you want to follow me, go and sell everything you own. Then come and follow me. It wasn't based on their level of knowledge, it was based on their surrender to Him. So that was the foundation of discipleship. Are we teaching people this, right? We've lost over time, we've lost complete generations because we did not pass things down to them. And so now we have a generation, right? So I'm a millennial. Then you have this generation after me. Anybody know what it's called? See, Gen Z. And then the generation coming after them is called the Alpha. And they're going to be more messed up. Because we have lost complete generations because we did not pass down what Jesus expected us to pass down. What we passed down was an expectation on church attendance. That's what we passed down. They don't want that. They want more than that. Now is the time to give them these types of things because I'm telling you, we're seeing it on campus after campus after campus. We're developing practitioners on their campus and now they're saying, I don't want to just do this on my campus. I want to go to the unreached. And we're sending them to the unreached and when they get there, they're not throwing their hands up and saying, I don't know what to do. They know what to do because they've been doing it. How amazing is that? that we could take things that are so simple. I'm not reinventing the wheel here, guys. (laughs) Square. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) You could call it that. Right? We're not trying to do that. Simple, reproducible. And it's based on biblical principles that you cannot argue against, and no one else can either. But somewhere along the way, we said, well, my genius is better than that. God gave me creativity. Man, come on. How arrogant could we possibly be? We have story after story. And I've just been doing this in North America for not even a year on campus. And we are seeing stories all over where people are taking ownership of their campus. And, they're, and that's leading to ownership of their families. And that's leading to ownership of entire pockets of lostness in their lives. Because it's simple, it's reproducible, but more than that, it's biblical.
0: So, how do you invite Gen Zs into this?
1: That's a really good question. This one is Where Where does it all start? Right? I think one thing that we have found is by and large, they're not okay with the status quo, right? And so we've been able to leverage that discontentment and introduce these types of things. Strategy, right? We introduce strategy. We cast vision to hopefully the Lord, the Spirit is already already working inside of them, giving them a burden, right? We ask them, what is that burden that God has given you? Man, I I just want to... And they don't know how to express it, right? They're just, I just want to reach people. Well, what does that mean? Do you have a plan for that? And they understand plan, right? They have a plan for their future, what they think is next. And well, I just I'm do this and <coughs> I'm do that. And so that's that's our entry point, is we're leveraging the discontentment because they're mad at their grandparents, they're mad at their parents, because Things have been suppressed, right? Oh, no, I've been told this and this and this. We let them discover in the Word. I don't come in and just tell them, hey, this is what you need to do. We want discovery in the Word because we're telling them that the only two authorities in their life is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And if they can begin to learn from the Word and discern, man, they could do anything. And so we, and then stories. We share stories. When we start sharing stories of unreached people groups hearing the gospel for the first time and it multiplying like crazy, they're like, I want to be a part of that! Send me! Hey, we're not going to send you until you're doing it here. Getting on an airplane don't make you a missionary. There's people doing that all over the world. And it's caused a lot of problems. <laughs> That's a good question. Though. This is a lot. I threw a lot at you. But any any more questions? Yeah, yeah, man. So
0: it Raising a new believer, a
2: young believer, um, at what point
1: do you consider them equipped to start sharing their faith or to start discipling other peers and theirs effectively? Hey, good question. We do it from day one. Because here's the thing. They're going to mess up. It's going to be so messy. It's going to be so messy. It is. Because they're messy. And we're messy. But having them do it immediately begins to build a DNA in them of th- that is the expectation. Uh, yeah, uh, well, just... This is some of my t- our team. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great question. <laughs>
2: I, think, <laughs> I think we always go back to well, what did Jesus do? What's the yeah. model? And so, you know, there was offered, uh, uh, several places where man, he said, hey, go tell your family and friends what the Lord has done for you. So the expectation is they can reproduce their testimony and the gospel right there. When we share with them the gospel, they come to and they say, yes, I going to follow Jesus. We immediately train them back to us. What did you just hear? What did you learn? How did you follow Jesus? So they're immediately equipped. And then a lot of things that uh, we're, we're trying to do as well is say, I'll go with you. You know what I mean? That, that's that modeling piece. So early on, we're trying to build confidence in them. We're trying to build confidence and confidence, right? So as a new believer, you can do this. We'll help you do this. And that modeling allows them to grow grow in their faith. And also, you're, you know, you're walking alongside them on the journey. They're not alone. You're not just saying, go figure What's
1: it out. What's really interesting about them, and you know, like their boldness trumps ours, I mean, astronomically, because they don't care. They don't. They're like, and so, but now think of your own personal walk. When you came to faith, when you repented and believed, that spiritual high you remember that you were on, you would have stormed the gates of hell with a water pistol, we're giving them the pistol. Yep. We're giving them a way to go and do it. And they're like, yes! And they're doing it. And so, But then it's biblically, hey, what are the stories? Man, can you think of stories where that happened? The demoniac. He begs to follow Jesus and Jesus like, nah, I got a plan for you, Josh. Yeah, and I think it's important for us to remember I think there's a big fear that oh my gosh they're gonna distort doctrine
2: <laughs> asking them to go and get seminary classes We're asking them to go share the gospel right They'll learn more as they go and they'll reproduce what they learn as they go but we want them to turn around immediately and share that good news they can turn that over in no time
1: and if you have a healthy discipleship relationship with them, they're going to come back to you and say, hey, I got asked this question and I didn't know what to say, right? And so now you're able to help them process through the barriers in their own life and in their own walk. I'm
2: sorry, one more thing. Is I think sometimes we we think that giving responsibility means that we're not guiding it, we're not involved, we're you know, we're not, you know what I'm saying? And I think sometimes, uh, I know as a parent, you know, uh, I give responsibility, but yeah, I'm watching. You know, see how it's done. There's the watch, right? Model assist watch. Maybe sometimes I'm giving responsibility, I might have to help them do it. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of what uh, uh Dave was talking about.
1: So early on, right, there's there's they're still on milk, but milk doesn't mean it doesn't nix them from serving the kingdom. And so we need to we need to remember that. Like it me, it doesn't mean that it doesn't negate anything that they can do. They can begin to share the gospel. They can begin to gather people. And maybe they invite us into it and say, hey, I just don't know what to do. Hey, I'd love to model it for you, but next time you got it, you know, throw them in the fire a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's say we're going off
2: with the two by two model, uh, new believer. Are you thinking like, you are getting the new believers' friends and you're starting a new Bible study with them and you're letting them lead it. Yeah. You're going out to wherever a place and you're just witnessing the people. Like, what
0: is your...
1: Yeah, so specifically on campus is I want them to gather the people they're already hanging out with, right? And so they're the insider. So now I'm coaching the insider. So downstream, some of our things, they don't even know who I am, right? Like, I'm not I'm not a face. I'm not anybody, you know and so they're they're doing the work because they've taken ownership of it and so now there's other scenarios where we're not on campus and we'll say hey just let's go let's go out in the harvest and share the gospel with some people and it gives them reps so it's building confidence in them anybody else any other questions so what
2: strategy are
1: you using so this that's a good question because yeah it gives us like you know but when you, what it, when you break it all down, down yeah like what yeah, piece okay right, because at this point in time it's big piece yeah yeah so specifically for this, so this is our strategy in which we operate. So we have uh, what we call, we have the loop 10, where we're going two by two to get into lost people. But the reality is they're already gathered. So we're just casting vision for them here of, hey, who are you already hanging out with? So we get them to draw something we call a people map or an ecos map where they put their name in a circle. And we tell them to think of five people that they know, that are far from God. And now we're equipping them and helping them. Hey, you need to share the gospel with these people. I'll go with you. I'll help you. And so, and this is the beauty thing because of social media. Five, that's a small number. (laughs) They're like, oh, I got way more than that. And they start drawing off of that. Well, who could they share with? And they start filling up a page. And we're like, well, where are you in all of that? You're right in the middle. So if you become obedient and you share the gospel with one, and just that one person comes to faith, who now can they replicate the process with? So that's the tool for entry that we're given. So for gospel, there's a tool called Three Circles I mentioned earlier. And it is a gospel presentation and that's all it is. It's, it's just a gospel presentation that tells the story of the gospel in three circles. I've got some stickers. Uh, we don't have stickers. At our, ta- at our table we do. And, it, and that's all it is. We've got it, uh, stickers. We know people that have it tattooed on their arm. Like It's crazy. Because it's simple and it's reproducible, but it encompasses the gospel in it. For discipleship, we have something for immediate discipleship short-term discipleship, which we would say 10 weeks, and then long-term discipleship. And all of our stuff, it's not—it's all Scripture. It's not, it's not in, a, in a book. It's not something we're selling. It's, it's none of that. It's the Bible. But we're teaching them how to study stories from Scripture and apply it to their lives. That's what we use for discipleship. For church, we're teaching them based off of Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2, we see all these things that the disciples, the apostles are doing with all these 3,000 people. and We say they should be doing that in their personal life, but they should also be doing it collectively as a group. And now we're moving them towards the idea of church. And then for leadership development, we're using the acronym MALL. That is the focus. Are we modeling for people? Are we assisting? Are we watching them? And then are we launching them out to replicate this? Because the reality is some of them will and some of them won't. If they're not doing it, they're not moving kind of down the leadership track, right? They're just, hey, I'm a seed sower and I'm happy with that. Praise God. You still need to grow in your faith and these things. But you're going to have some people that are like, they're, they're storming the gates of hell. And those people, hey, man, let's start giving them more and more responsibility and they're taking ownership. They're naturally progressing as leaders, and so that's that's. So those are kind of the base tools that we're given, and we have even more that go into that. So if you go to e3partners.org, this this diagram will come up, and there are actual links to tools in each square on our website that will help you. Yes, sir.
0: What is a verbatim that your students?
1: Yeah, Yeah. So, uh, so one thing that we say is we're not in the business of making a conversation spiritual. We're in the business of starting spiritual conversations. So we teach them to lead with prayer. That's the goal. Hey, is there any way that I could pray for you today? And what they're finding is their friends are, yeah, and they're throwing out crazy stuff. Pray for them. But when you pray, the gospel comes next. Hey, the reason I like to pray for people is let me share this story with you. And they're sharing three circles. And so they're getting to the gospel. So the rest of that relationship is now based off of their response to the gospel. I can I can share the gospel with, with this guy right here right now. And I don't have to do it anymore. My job was to share the gospel with him and it's based on his response. I still love him. I still have a relationship with him, right? But I don't need to keep cramming it down his throat. You know? Hey, that's where a lot of prayer comes in. Hey, you've planted the seed. I planted, Apollo's water, but what? God calls the growth. I like that because it's not really a switch. No, I'm, I'm, leading, I'm leading off the relationship with this is why I'm here. This is what we're here for. And they're like, nah, I'm not interested. Well, hey man, I'd love to call me, You know, talk to me if you ever... We're moving on, we're keeping on looking for people.
2: Yeah, a great question. I, I think one thing we're, we're all learning here in the U.S. is man, there's a lot of people that are hurting. And uh, even though they, they may not even be open to prayer, they're willing to share some stuff that's going on in their life. And so, as a good listener, as I, I listen to that, right? Oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, I'd love to share a story of hope with you. It changed my life. Mm-hmm. I'd love to share a story of peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, uh, it's just really a natural thing
1: that's happening. Part of the Discovery Bible Study method is they're learning a new story from Scripture that is tied to them being obedient. So maybe that's based on baptism. Maybe that's based on communion. Maybe that's based on love. Well, they're learning a new story from Scripture that goes along with that. So while they're learning the story, they're actually committing Scripture to memory. And now they're able to share these stories in a very casual setting over coffee or whatever. Uh, and and it's actually beginning to happen where it's like it's just coming out. It's like vomit. They're like, man, that reminds me of a story that I heard last week or I heard in my small group. And they're sharing this story with people. Uh, so we only got a couple minutes. So I want to give real quick. Uh, just kind of some of the stuff that we're doing right now. So I Am Second, we talked about that at the beginning. We have what's called Team Second. And Team Second is designed for college athletes. Anybody familiar with college athletics? You keep up with college athletics, right? There's a thing called the NIL, and that is name, image, and likeness. So college players can make money off of their name, image, and likeness. We actually have 35 college athletes that they are brand ambassadors for I Am Second. We don't pay them anything, but they are followers of Christ, and we have taught them all of these things. They're sharing the gospel on their campuses, and they're starting discipleship groups, moving towards church on their campuses. And we just give them a bunch of free swag of I Am Second, and they just rep the brand, right? It's really cool. So that's one thing that we're doing as kind of an entry strategy on the campuses. Um Another thing that we're launching this uh, this fall is an internship with E3 where we will teach your college students all of this over the course of one semester with the intent of them becoming practitioners on their campus and maybe they say, hey, I want more. I want to continue doing this. I want to go to the nations. Then we will help send them all over the world as missionaries. Uh, and so that is something I've got flyers for that. So if anybody is interested in that, they have QR codes where they can apply. But it is a collegiate internship that we offer. Uh, it's no cost to them. We're not going to pay them. It's a time commitment uh, with the intent of as we teach them this, they then will teach it to whoever else that they want. I got a question.
2: Yeah, Next man. You guys what does church on campus have look like?
1: Yeah, so uh, coffee shops. Uh, dorm rooms, uh, wherever they can gather. Uh, What's what's tricky in a lot of places is, so where we are in the South, we have the Baptist Collegiate Ministry, is what it's called in the Baptist world. And they are, one of the things that they're kind of taught to do is when students are coming to faith on campus, they're tying them back into the local church, uh, which is great, that's fantastic. But in a lot of places, that's not available or this and that. We're starting churches with this DNA. And they're reproducing. It's no cost to them. It's based on where can you gather. Where can you gather and how many people can you get to come with you? We'll come in and we'll model maybe the first couple of sessions. And then we give it to them. And now I'm just in a coaching relationship with someone on campus. So it's a very small group group. Uh, one of the tools here, we call it the three thirds process, and that is the format in which we do a church meeting or a discipleship meeting. And so, you could look up the three thirds process as the kind of just the format that we run through. And anything you want to
0: make, make mention of that soon called training, if it
1: applies. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, all of our other sessions. Uh, so, we a big part of E three is we want to equip the local church to become practitioners. And I said earlier, less than 10% of evangelical believers share the gospel more than once a month. We want to see that changed. And so we are trying to partner with local churches, local organizations, whoever, to see them equipped to do that. And so this training call will be based on that. It's called Made to Multiply, is our North American initiative to train 1 million believers over the next five years to replicate a lot of this stuff. And so on May 9th, we are having a Zoom call. It'll be led by the bald guy back there in the back. (laughs) And he will be going through a lot of these tools that we were talking about. So it could be very good for you to learn some of the tools. All right, so uh, three circles. All right, so I've I've prayed for someone. I've kind of, man, the reason I like to do this, let me share a story with you. I believe that God created the world perfect. He created it out of love. But man and woman, they disobeyed God. And the Bible calls their disobedience sin. And because of their sin and their disobedience, our world is now broken. And you and I, we try to get out of brokenness on our own. I tried religion. Some people try drugs. Some people try relationship. But they never leave brokenness. And there's no hope in their life. But God loved us enough that He sent His Son Jesus to the earth. Jesus lived perfect life, died on a cross, and then rose from the dead. And Jesus tells us that if we are to turn from the sin and brokenness in our life and trust Him as King, He will restore us back to God's original design. And so then we ask Him, where do you see yourself? Are you living for yourself in this broken world? Or do you have a relationship with King Jesus? We want to elicit a response, right? It's not a gospel presentation unless you give them a chance to respond. Yeah, I mean, there, I'm telling you, there's stickers, there, there's all kinds of stuff. There's t-shirts, there's hats, there's, it's just a tool, but it encompasses a gospel presentation. Yeah, we know people that have it as a tattoo. We did a training at a church in Louisiana. Immediately after the training, three ladies went and got it tattooed on their arm. We were like, whoa, I didn't tell them to do that. <laughs> so so that's the three circles. We have stickers at our table. So before you leave, before we break down our table, come grab some stickers. Uh, and you can look up on YouTube, three circles presentation, and someone will walk, like it's a whiteboard video of them teaching you how to share. It.
0: Your table
1: is saying, E3 partners, it's in the gym, in the, yeah, there's a big made to multiply banner. So, yep, all good. I'll hang around if anybody wants to come chat.
0: All right, that's all we've got from E3 Partners. Up next, we're going to be hearing from TCM International Institute. We've got David Rokup sharing some incredible material with us on the next few episodes, so make sure you stick around for that. Like I said in the beginning, the city tour, the forum coming up in Nashville is October 27th and 28th, Friday and Saturday. If you live in the Nashville area, go to discipleship.org and buy those tickets now so that you can come be a part of this amazing kickoff to this city tour. All right, y'all, thanks so much for listening, and I hope to catch you on the next episode.